Hey, Alicious, the nice thing is we start the, the first time I start podcast with a joke. So thanks a lot, Alicia. <laughs> it won't be the only one. I can no. promise you that. Oh, hell yeah. I'm up for it. <laughs> so, so, Alicia, good really having you. I mean, we, I, I must, I don't think I have, I've got the pleasure knowing you, um, for a story, you know, circumstance and story for a different day, probably. But thank you for being with, with me today. Um, absolute pleasure. The pleasure is all mine, Ben. This is, I already know we're going to have such a great conversation just based on some of our past conversations, but this one is going to be recorded. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, I mean, I am impressed, Alicia. You do a lot. Hello. I'm, I thought that I do a lot, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not even one tenth of what you do. Um, so I've, 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 <laughs> you get the Red Bull or superpower, I don't know, but, but you do just a hell of a lot of things. Um, so let me count these. So you are CEO of Equilibria, um, um, which is a, a, a kind of a management consulting boutique, but more focus on, you know, operation management and specialize in particular on, you know, growing small businesses and small business infrastructure and, and, and know how to maximize on the resources that every business has. You also write it. You have, a, you have a book, um, behind a facade, which is, I got the chance to read, um, some of these, uh, the chapters of the book, which is amazing. I mean, the, and I like the way that you did it. It just, Thank not, you. yeah, I, I really liked it. It's because it could be a TV show, Alicia. Has anyone told you that? Oh, let's, let's talk about that, Ben. Because <laughs> no. I, I have the same vision. So if you and I have the same vision for it, we, we can collaborate on that. I, I mean, I was reading it. I was so much captivated with the story that you have. And, and it's like a TV show. It's like a set of TV show. It's like people walking That's in, right. opening the doors. I'm sipping my water and drinking my wine and pick up my phone. And I've been anxious. I talked to, I texted the friends and I was like, it's really, I think you, you created a, a whole different concept of writing a business book, but the kind of oh, wow. nice storytelling. I, I, I'm telling you that. This is my feeling. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> that is such a compliment. And the fact that you picked up on those kinds of... I don't know that I've ever talked to anyone who's picked up on that level of detail. So thank you for that. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's a fantastic book. Um, so I recommend everyone to find it. It's available on Amazon. So I put all of the links, of course, where, where people could, uh, could, um, could pick up the book. So, and, and then also you're a fellow podcaster. So you do podcasts yourself too, um, which That's is right. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, and I've watched some of the episodes they've done, not all of them. I think you're beyond a hundred something, right? It's like 130. Yes, we're, we're coming up on our 200th episode. Okay. I haven't even reached that. So I was like looking <laughs> to, I think 139 or something, but I haven't okay. gone to all of these. Um, it was a fantastic and you got a lot of smart people, I mean, around in, 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 in the show, you, or you actually going talking to another podcast. So I quite enjoyed a lot of these, especially when you walked in and you using your methodology, the toolkits and, 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 and I have to admire one thing, Alicia, that you do is just see telling, it's not just the theory of, of what you've, you know, worked on or created in your book. And I'm going to talk that you also coined a kind of methodology in there, but you, you sharing kind of insight how that's worked played out in real life. Um, so this yes. is really phenomenal. 
you also a Six Sigma black belt certified. Hell, I mean, we, where, have, where do you find the whole time for it, Alicia? It's like a serious question. <laughs> now that I'm listening to you, I'm like, how do I do all of those things? But you, how we'll, do you do? we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about that, Ben. Yes, I will tell I you exactly how I do it. And, 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 and then um, that's not over, guys. You chemical engineering, too. So it's like, <laughs> I was looking, it's like, okay, I could, okay, that, that's, a, you know, all of the people who work in the domain, they probably did the business administrations, they did an MBA, they did, you know, management, the economy, accountancy, finance. But you came completely from a different background. So kind of you went through the whole process to being, you know, a thinker, a writer, and then a management consultant and business consultant and creating methodology that kind of came up with a new idea, a more simple, simplified idea, and I think is unique because I, I haven't seen anything as, as such, where how small business could maximize the bandwidth of their resources and how you could distribute all of the tasks and how you can, you know, not like, especially small business when you have one, two, three people working, right? The how, and I like mm -hmm. it actually referring back to the book, how a founder is not the same as a CEO, that, that right. transition. So quite, quite interesting, Alicia. So. My first question is, and okay. I would, ev everyone could guess that, um, you're doing a lot. And, and I'd like to get, I, I'd like to pick up an inspiration from myself, Alicia. It's like, what's his secret sauce? How do you do that? The secret sauce, honestly, is processes. All right. I have processes for a lot of these things. And you mentioned something else, a team. All right. I, I'm so a lot of these things and we can, I don't know if you want to start with, for example, the chemical engineering piece. Yes. So that's what my, you're right. That's what my background is in. And what that, what a career in chemical engineering gave me was an appreciation for methodical, logical thinking, problem solving. I was literally working in a plant where we were making Roundup, the, the, the weed killer. I don't know if, mm. if you all. Yes, yes. Well, Monsanto, Monsanto. Yeah, exactly. Don't judge yeah. me. Don't judge me ben, for working <laughs> at Monsanto. Okay, I worked for Doctor Evil, and um, but but I will say this. I will say this. I learned so much about day to day problem solving, because when you're in a manufacturing environment, things will go wrong, and you have to keep the machinery and the equipment running. Because if it's going, if it goes down, you can't, you literally are unable to produce product. Mm. And when you have a production schedule and you don't meet that schedule, it just has all kinds of, of ramifications. I mean, honestly, that's a part of the supply chain discussion that we can probably have also is what happens when these companies that you rely on to provide the raw materials for whatever it is you're doing if they lose their inability to make the product, it just has a domino effect. So that's what I, that's what I credit my background in chemical engineering with the most is that methodical thinking, being able to think very quickly on your feet, not panicking when things go wrong. Because when we panic, we can, we can easily become, uh, we can allow that panic to overtake us. And we end up making very irrational decisions when we are, when we're in such a state of, of anxiety and panic and fear. 
But when you're in a manufacturing environment like that, that is so, I mean, it's detrimental anytime. Yeah. But you learn how to work around the fear, the panic, and the anxiety. And if I can just, just share this really quickly with you and your audience, the way I always say I didn't leave a career in chemical engineering, I simply figured out a way to leverage those principles and those those methodologies and that logical thinking and problem solving skill set, I just, I just transformed that into what I'm doing now. And th the reason I decided to pursue a business school education, so I went back to school, as you pointed out, was because I realized I didn't understand things like supply and demand. I didn't understand basic accounting concepts. I, I knew what an asset or a liability was, but I didn't understand the context or the role that that played in these daily production schedules, for example. Mm. So what happened, Ben, when I was a young engineer working at Monsanto, there were accountants that were assigned to different parts of whatever manufacturing facility you worked at. And every month, that accountant that was assigned to your unit would visit and have these stacks of reports and they go through those reports and it was they may as well have been speaking a, a foreign language i it, i yep. didn't understand it you know balance sheets and equity and what the and heck receivable <laughs> yes and 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 here's the thing and so one there was i i specifically remember there was a there was a point in time when i was working there where the production schedule was just so erratic. One day we might be working at full 100% capacity. The next day we might be told by management, run at half capacity. And then the day after that, don't operate at all. Don't run anything, shut everything down. And then the following week you're running at full, full capacity all over again. It just seemed like management was just making these, these decisions, you know, ad hoc. Behind but, the curve. They are behind the right, curve. Right, right. But what I didn't have an appreciation for was the role that the law of supply and demand was playing into those day-to-day -day production schedules. So it's so interesting because of the pandemic, it's so interesting to see how the conversation around supply chain, for example, how that is front and center for so many people now, whereas before they never... The, the word supply chain probably would have never come up in regular conversation. But now people are having these conversations and they're educating themselves on, okay, if I go to the market and I'm looking for a certain vegetable and I can't find it, I can't just get mad. There's something that's going on further upstream that's causing this. Yep. Or there's a reason why this price has gone up substantially. I mean, I don't know if we want to bring this up, but let's let's look at gasoline, for example, or or oil in general, because of what's going on in the world right now. Where you know there's a war, and the, you know the the after effects of the pandemic. So it's it just it's a recipe for disaster, you know, when it comes to the the pricing that we have to pay right now. So some people who might not know any better would just think, oh my God, that's just, you know, the government doing whatever they want to do. They can just charge whatever they want to charge, but they don't understand the global interconnectivity of this entire network 
as it relates to the oil and gas industry. So that's why I went back to business school so that I could understand how all of that worked. And by the time I got out, Ben, that's when I decided I didn't make a conscious decision to start a business full time, but it ended up happening because I was having trouble finding a job working for okay. someone else. Right. Right. So that's what ultimately led me to start my own business. It's, you know, there's a many takes. So, because so we chat about because I did two years in engineering. Um, oh, I didn't, okay. Okay, we haven't. I know I haven't told you that actually. No. So, no, I haven't told you. So here it goes. I did two years in engineering, and it was it was the desire of my parents that I pursue um, engineering career, and because I've got also good score when I ended my high school. So they were telling me either you go to study medicine um, to be a doctor uh, or you go to engineering and say, doctor, hell no, that's seven years too long for me. I'm not doing that <laughs> shit. And, and, I, and I said, the last thing I'd like to deal with is people. So I could deal with bricks, machines, wires, but not with people. So I was so afraid. And I, I did two years. I dropped off. It's not because I was doing bad, but it, I didn't find myself in it. It's just engineering was for mm. me is more numbers, like it's more theories. And I'd like to talk to people. No, I haven't got time to people because I just you have to study so hard to make your way through. And I made a decision to say, I'm not doing that. Um, and, and my story is similar to you. So I went behind the back of my father, which he wasn't happy at all. And, and I picked up my paper. And they went to the uh, school of economy or econ economic school. And then anyone, they said, okay, I want to study economy. And they said, no, it's too late. There's no place. And then it's okay, maybe management. Say no place. And then it's like, okay, um, okay um, uh, political science. And so there's no place. Okay, well, what, have, what have you got? They say accountancy. So it put mm. me, just put me there. I, I ended doing wow. the study. I ended studying accountancy. Um, and then I worked it a brief period and then I went, um, did a master degree. I did it in, in wealth management. I, I so much wanted mm. to work in a, in a place where I could deal with people, but not people, you know, health, otherwise I've been a doctor, but like resolving these issues. I was so much interested in the past. Okay. The, the whole globalization thing and why, for example, the exchange rate, the Chinese yuan was all the time bracket manipulated to being lower than use the dollars because in the economy it's like all the time i find myself passionate about it but to your point i never could think that we would have a massive problems of supply chain as we did in 2019 and this was only the first wave and then a second wave right. came in you now the war and energy prices and you know, if you if you painted the pictures, it's like when this the hell story gonna end? Well, where are we gonna stop? What, what's next? Right? Aliens. Right. People say like aliens <laughs> coming from Mars, <laughs> which is a probability. Uh, I mean, at least Elon Musk. Believes, yeah, Elon Musk believes there's aliens out there. So we I believe that. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Right? It's like each time you say we're over. Why not? But I'd like to. Since you touched on the supply chain, it's very, very interesting. And you were absolutely right. And it wasn't, it wasn't anyone's radar. No. Actually, the smallest team in every business I worked in, it was the procurement team. They're small. Mm. Or they've been outsourced. They don't care because everything is available. They never, right. no one, they, they, if they have like five, six suppliers lining up, 
and their doors. Hey, you want like the rich people coming in is like maybe you want to buy my products. And now the the other way around. So businesses chasing, finding where they could find suppliers. And and correct. And, and to meet demand. To to your point, even Monsanto's like, okay, if I, my productions will will run at full capacity because otherwise it's not economically viable to run at 60% capacity because I'm losing money as a business. Right. I, have, I haven't got my supplies. So what I'd like to ask you, Alicia, since you started the topic, I mean, how do you see that playing for going forward? Is is it because there's, there's niche shoring, there's China plus one, there is reshoring right now, right? So how do you see that playing out like maybe next three years, if we talk supply chain. I can tell you what I hope will happen. And, and it's something that we're actually starting to witness. You mentioned Lean Six Sigma earlier. Yep. I, I really hope that more and more people will start to educate themselves about operations, operations management, this idea of operational excellence pursuing that certification in Lean Six Sigma. In other words, getting the knowledge that is necessary to understand how to not be so reactive when there are sharp swings and fluctuations in the market. We are a global economy. No one country operates and well, I say that, but I was gonna say in isolation of others, but, but it really is true. There's all of this interconnectedness and I think because operations, unfortunately, has always taken a back seat to the other more popular topics of sales and sales, marketing, yeah. branding and finance. Finance is exciting. Wealth management. You mentioned wealth management. That's the money. Who doesn't want to know how to make more money? But when it comes to the day-to-day -day details, how do you do what you do, Ben? How can you streamline the way you do things? Is there a potential to automate it? See, when you start talking about getting into those minute details, a lot of people, honestly, they just can't handle it. They don't want to do it. Or they think, they think, unfortunately, that it's too complex. Mm. And the reality is it isn't. There's something else really important that you mentioned when you talked about your experience as an engineering student, that it just all seemed to be theory. And I agree with you. And that, in my opinion, is a major flaw in so many educational systems. Right. We teach the theory, but we don't teach how to apply, right. apply that theory to real-life practical situations. That's what I love about programs, for example, like Lean Six Sigma. And I'm going to if I may throw a plug for the, the university that, that I'm associated with, and that's Purdue University. They have these global online Lean Six Sigma, for example, training uh, courses. Every So my course actually ended, my Lean Principles course ended last week. So many students have sent me personal emails and it's it's touched my heart so much. And they said, Thank you so much because everything we learned, we are applying right now at my job. And that's what it's all about. You can't get people excited and interested in this kind of stuff that True. we're talking about un unless you tell them how to actually apply it. So I'm going to teach you the theory. 
but then I'm going to give you the tools that you need, whether it's a template, a checklist, a, a process flowchart, whatever that looks like, I'm going to give you these tools so that you can now start to figure out how you can apply this to solve a particular operational issue where you work. That's what's missing from, from so many educational systems. I, you know, I hear you spot on because I, th I think all I have seen as a solution the businesses put forward to phase out the challenge with supply chain is all I hear, um, A, um, the relation with our supplier is not anymore a vendor and buyer, but is a, a partnership. All right. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. To that we got to diversify our sources of supplies as much as we do for the revenue, which is correct. Yes. But I think no one brought forward, as you said, there's a third, <clears throat> a third angle to that is your manpower or man skills to handle those situations because all of the other tools are somewhat financial, financially related because finding more building up uh, strategic partnerships, all about contractual agreement with suppliers. And you get, instead of having one, you get two or three options. Um, the other part is that we got to play ahead of the curves, meaning like we've got the rethink alternatives and whatever. But I think the hardest bit, no one think of it is upskilling people working in the organizations, right? Isn't it? Yes. I, I completely agree with you. And, and, Part of part of that upscaling of people, Ben, in my opinion, is having more focus on business continuity planning mm. and disaster recovery. Here's mm. what's so funny. Every project I have ever worked on for any client since I've been in business, I always bring up disaster recovery planning and business continuity planning. And I would say, unfortunately, ninety about ninety five percent of the time, my clients, oh, we don't need that. No, Absolute, we don't. No, you're no, right. No, 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 we don't need to talk about that. You're right. And here, here we are. No, you're here right. Here we are. Here's here's something else I, I'd like for your listeners to to just ponder, if nothing else. When Hurricane Katrina happened in the U.S. back in two thousand five, it happened where I'm from. I'm from Louisiana, originally, and. The companies, there were some companies in New Orleans that were operational about 24 to 48 hours after Hurricane Katrina completely decimated the city. And I always tell my students, as well as any, you know, anyone else who's interested in, in, in listening to this, the reason why is because they had those disaster recovery plans in place. They were up and operational within, at the most, 48 hours, Ben. Why? Because yeah. they had already planned. They already had a plan. They just need to put the plan into action. But for those companies that said, no, we don't need to talk about that, that's never going to happen. The unlikely, um, unlikely scenarios, unlikely right. scenarios. Right, and, and yeah. even with the pandemic, that is a, that yeah. is a, it's a possibility. And it's been brought up so many times and companies would just say, oh, no, 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 no. We don't need to worry about that. Mm -mm. Let's keep going. Let's or let's I love this one. Whenever people whenever people tell me this, well, we just want to be positive and think very positively. And, and I can appreciate <laughs> that. But you also need to be realistic and think about, well, 
if there is a major natural disaster, what would we do? If we did all of a sudden lose access to electricity, how long could the business operate before we have to completely shut everything down? So those are the, you know, if, if something, if there's theft of any kind, whether it's intellectual property theft or theft of physical goods that you have in your office space, what would happen if there's a fire, if there's a flood? These are all of the things, if there's some type of a cybersecurity breach, which is a very real possibility for any type of business. All of these disasters, truthfully, can, can happen to any sized business. In any, in any industry. So we don't like to have those kinds of conversations because it, it can make us very uncomfortable, but it's better to be caught with a plan than without a plan. And even though you can't think of every scenario that could possibly happen, right? The, the goal is to instead start to get into that mindset of, well, what if that did happen to us? How would we respond? How quickly would we be able to resume our operations? That's what I'm hoping as we, as we're coming out of, hopefully we're coming out of what, you know, this pandemic, you never know. There always seems to be a new, uh, a new strand yeah, this uh, is... that comes out, but hopefully we, we have, we've, we've gotten through the worst of it. I, I hope at this point, but that's my hope then is that, what we've learned over the past two years collectively, and this goes for any type of organization, is the need to start doing that disaster recovery planning, upscaling employees or team members, as you mentioned, and doing that business continuity planning, educating yourself about what, supply, what does our supply chain look like, thinking about your ecosystem. If you don't want to use the word supply chain, what does your, your company's yeah. ecosystem look like? And, and what is that interconnectivity? And if, if one, one element of that interconnectedness goes down, what impact does it have on everyone else? I'm curious, Alicia. So you mentioned a very interesting one with cybersecurity. I, I, I think you're spot on. That's a real threat that I think is not going, it's not high on businesses' agenda apart probably from the fang group like you know amazon mm. facebook and all of these guys because they are their business of pure tech so they kind of they are on the front line of everything we do right um and probably they are strategically important that they will receive some directions from the government um security agencies right they will give them mm -hmm. some guidance but i really doubt that a food sector like fmcg they will get the same attentions as the tech do because they think they are if we categorize these they will be in the second line right but they are as important right isn't it and and, and, and i'm yes. not sure what's going on there if there's anyone paying attention to this i i remember reading a statistic a couple of years ago ben and i i don't know if this statistic is still true but it said something along the lines of by the year 2025, there will be over 1 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. Think Possible. about it. Yeah, I, I don't remember. So, so please, you know, whoever's listening or watching right now, don't, don't quote me completely on that. But, but if nothing else, the number is astronomically high for the number of unfilled cybersecurity jobs that we will have over the next few years.
I think I'm going to speak about small businesses in particular. Mm. I think we, for us small business owners, we tend to think, oh, that doesn't apply to us. Who, who would, who would be interested in my company? We're, we're tiny. We're really small compared to Heineken, for example. They're a large global conglomerate, you know, organization. What, what company would, who would, what hacker would possibly want to breach or, you know, go on the attack for my small business? But you have to understand in the minds of hackers, oftentimes it's not about, it's not about you, Ben, personally. It's more of, Tart. I want to see if I can do this. Oh, I'm, I'm bored. I'm bored. And I'm going to see if I can hack into Ben's website. Oftentimes, that's, that's how it happens. When it's these larger organizations, as you've pointed out, then yes, obviously, sometimes things can be held for ransom and, and you know, it can get really, but really bad. it happens a lot. We hear that more yes. and more, Alicia, right? Absolutely. But I think uh, to, to, to circle back to your original question, anytime you collect data, even if you are just collecting information a person's first name and email address that is still data mm. and that data can be compromised so don't think well my business is small we don't even have any data you do you do have data and you're using that data somehow to make decisions or to drive certain activities that are happening in your day-to-day -day operations so, so oftentimes i think some people when they hear the word data they're thinking of numbers yeah. There's all types of data, as you know, Ben. It's not just numbers necessarily. You might have your, your CRM database. And let's say if that database is somehow compromised, or you might have a team member who decides out of anger or to be vindictive, well, I'm going to take all of this information and I'm going to send a, a I don't know, a threatening message to anyone who, whose information is in this CRM. So it can, it can take so many shapes and forms, but I wish more people paid attention to it. And to your point, even large organizations, government entities, they, I mean, as you said, we are continuously hearing these stories of these breaches and you have to wonder like, why and how is this happening? But there is definitely a shortage of talent, cybersecurity talent. And then honestly, I think Ben, you know how it goes in tech. Things evolve so quickly. Yeah. Just when you figured out how to combat one type of a breach, there's something else new that has developed, <laughs> you know, the next day. It's so I think that's because of the nature of the fast pacedness of technology. That might also be a factor as well. Yeah, I, th I think it's like back again. It's a blind spot. In the businesses, like as you said early on, they focus only on the fancy things about revenue, sales, marketing, new products, everything that makes yes. money, right? So the tech companies, exactly the same things. Their priority is having new functionalities, a new, a new, or new um, services, new product acquisition, maybe for other businesses. But the security, cybersecurity, although it's very high nowadays, and I think would grow only further from there, but it's still lagging behind the people just catching up. It's still reactive. They're still catching up. And I like when you pointed out small, small business, I think the message to them is like, if you are not targeted per se, a company ABC, which is small company and in a suburb of 
you know small state in the in Midwest or wherever where um you will you are you could be either of two things or maybe the same as you either collateral damage because you hooked into mm. a server owned by Amazon and that's been hacked itself or actually there's a spillover as you said is that you know an, a person one of your staffs either do that intentionally or unintentionally open just an email and that's been distributed because somebody's old database been hacked and you, all of a sudden you're i don't know you maybe t- intellectual property right been mm. put in ransom right your book or yes. your design of products what have you is just been locked out then you have to pay in to your leashes for you so no one's safe we live on on the net that's true we live everything's on the net Right. That is so true, so true. In the cloud, <laughs> we're all in the cloud. We're all in the cloud, Alicia. We all, especially again, it, you know, especially because of what's happened in the world over the past two years. Think yeah. of the rapid digitization that, I mean, almost every company has gone through, and and the rate of adoption of technology. Crazy. Has, I mean, it's it's it was just. It, it it was very accelerated. I know even for my company, and it was painful. I don't know about for you, Ben, but realizing that you either had to upgrade your technology or migrate into something else altogether completely That's different. That's a pain. It, it's a pain. It, is, it was so stressful. And yeah. I'll give, I'll just share really quickly. Um, something that happened to my company in 2020 was right around April. So we were, we were definitely in the pandemic at that point, <laughs> but, but go GoDaddy, GoDaddy, GoDaddy's sites were being, GoDaddy was being hacked. Yeah. And the only reason I knew that was because my site was completely down. My Ooh. company's website was completely down. So it, 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 it speaks to what you just said that we were collateral damage. Some some ha- some hackers came after GoDaddy, and then GoDaddy could not respond quickly enough before all of their so many of their clients their sites went completely down. Damn. And and what happened? So once you call customer support, good luck finding someone who could actually help you. And once I finally did find someone who could help me. He said, listen, I'm going to be very honest with you. We have GoDaddy has about 10,000 employees and all of a sudden we're all told to go work from home. No structure, no process, no procedure was in place. He said, so it's it's crazy. And I I apologize. He said, all I can do is apologize to you. But I'm explaining to you also why why this is happening, because we've all been sent home. All of a sudden, and many of us don't have the right setup at home to be able to work from home. We don't know how to, you know, when you talk about phone lines, right? Things have to be transferred and routed yep. a certain way. It, it was it was a disaster, Ben. But nice. an organization as large as GoDaddy, a tech company, clearly didn't have that disaster recovery plan in place. And Who's, my company was collateral damage. Yeah, you, you, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm saying that there's two pain. Another pain point I love through is, is that that rapid adaptions of and the new tools like you. 
I felt like overwhelmed. It's like what tools I need to use. It's like I was like having five, six options. In the past, there's only one, two, right? It's like if you right. think of communications platforms, like what what we've got in the past. We've got maybe Skype, um, right? <laughs> yeah, or maybe uh, Link, which is Microsoft. And, 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 and that's oh, it. That's, yes, yeah, it's Link. Link. Yes, was Link? Yes, yes the yellow I icon, right? That. Right. Yeah, and and then that was simple. Life was simple. Life was simple. Mm -hmm. And then all of the all of the time in 2019, all of all of when the shit hit the fan, they have to send everyone's home. People, uh, businesses has to figure out okay how they're going to communicate with their staffs, how the staffs would communicate with the customers whom they have only phone numbers. Now they have to turn that around and have that installed in a desktop. Um, and then okay, mm -hmm. what's about the tools have we are we getting zoom and then no 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 zooms there's there's that's not good for data they they do shit with it um and then microsoft says sure you can get teams why not we're gonna charge you double for that guys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so but I, i'm literally speaking about this they, they were like look, zoom was for free teams you have to pay for it but because no one's want to give the data out and there's concern about what zooms retains and then no we don't want zoom Right, and then mm. and then Cisco came in with a solution too, right? Then they have Jabra, Jabber, whatever. Yeah, Jabber in the past or Jabber or something like this, and now they've got their um, how it's called Webex. Webex, all, yes. Yeah. So, 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 in many tools, right? And then Slack came in, and and you know many many other communication platforms and etc. So it's kind of you know that that's what how I felt. It's like in one year we made three years worth of advancement and tools research and developments being squeezed us and all of them but yes. i think and i think i i think it's so like to your point maybe we're talking again about it everyone thinks how important cyber security is and cyber threat that is with the current geopolitical that we live through nowadays mm -hmm. but sound it's like it's like let's hope for the best again it's like no 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 well, no one won't do anything to us guys don't be so much pessimistic and this is where is my my second question right is it because i don't think it's because a problem of money of business they've got the money for it but i think they've been ill-advised and this is the role of management consulting consulting firms etc right they come in mm. say okay you've got this challenge we're gonna fix it to you and this is my, my second question to you alicia because you're running a boutique consultancy firm, how you see the difference between a boutique consulting and without mentioning name, the big consulting firms, <laughs> <laughs> because I, I know the difference. <laughs> I know, the, but I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested. I'll, I'll, I'll chip in. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yes. Without naming any names, what I have noticed is larger companies, can spend quite a fortune on these, what are known as the big four consulting firms. And what often happens, and again, this is from my experience, a significant amount of money is spent bringing these consulting firms in and they produce these beautiful reports. There's a lot of documentation a lot of research that goes into preparing the information in the documentation. And it can be very, there's lots of pictures, it looks great, it's formatted very nicely, 
very strategic usually in nature, but when they, when they leave these large companies, these same large companies that hired those bigger consulting firms, they find that they cannot implement the information that that larger consulting firm presented them. So my point is these larger consulting firms, the emphasis and the focus tends to be, I'm not going to say that all of them are this way or that it happens this way every single time, but based on my experience, because I've, I've had to go in after some of these, I've been brought in. To clean my up. company has been, so to- <laughs> there you go. There you go. They're like, we have all of these reports. It's what all of this, this information. How do we actually do this? How do we implement this? Sure, it looks great, but I want it to be functional. Yeah. I, I don't want to just focus on the form and the fit. I don't want it to just look good. I want it to, I want to be able to actually implement this. It needs to be functional. And that's you know, where yeah. the smaller consulting firms Again, in my opinion, that is the strategic advantage that we have is that we can get in there and literally roll up our sleeves and say, let's get this done. This is the first thing we're going to do and literally map out a plan of action. You know, I have a metaphor, which is kind of interesting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, I many years I went to um, a car show in switzerland and you have these fancy concept cars they look good Mm -hmm. they look fancy future (laughs) futuristic um they they're all of the you know they've got all of the things that you would have dreamed of they 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 have the lights on they roll about in a fancy stage and you know all of these things but they don't run So they that don't is the run. perfect analogy. Yes. And guess what? So how these models will run? How, how, because I ask questions to the guys. It's like, okay, when we see that card, when we would see it, oh, maybe 2035, 2040, 2050, who knows? Maybe never, because there's some concept card, never, never made it to the roads. So I asked one of the guys, okay, how it looks like? So he, the guy explained to me, said, our designers dream of that, how it looks like the, the most futuristic car would look like. So they just carve it out, design it, and build it. But you say, we haven't got enough resources, nor a priority, and no, that's we're not working where we are today. So the engineers, the engine engineers, the safety engineers, all of the, you know, the interior design engineers and what have you, all of the things that make the car run up and running, they don't, they're not involved at all. It was done by one team. That's it. So exactly the same. You got the big consulting firms comes in, as you say, high level, strategic, futuristic, aspirational content, looks good, feels good. So I'm going to buy that shit. You buy that shit. (laughs) And then, hmm, where's the keys? Right. And and you pay you've paid a lot of money. Yes. We're Where's not the... talking we're not talking, you know, small money here. I you know I, well, I'm I don't want to get myself in trouble, but I'm I'm thinking right now very specifically of a time when I was brought in, an executive reached out to me at, at this company and 
this this was a firm, uh, one of the larger consulting firms, and it was one of their offices in London. And mm. they paid two and a half, no, I'm sorry, four million pounds Damn. for a five-month engagement. Four million pounds for a five-month engagement. And by the time they approached me and my company, they were like, we don't know what to do with this. Where's the keys? Where's the keys? Where are the keys? Where are the keys? Because we can't, we can't do anything with this. Yeah. So, so yes, be very careful. And, and I would, I would caution anyone who's listening to this right now, even if you, if you're listening to Ben and I, and, and you are motivated to want to, to take a closer look at your operations and make sure you're doing things as efficiently and as effectively as possible. Be very careful about people who are out there. A lot of people are very good at reading the theory and they can have a great conversation with you. And you're, you're talking to that person and you're thinking, wow, he, he or she is so smart. But ask them to start showing you what they can do. For example, this is a, this is a really big issue um, that I've had to correct oftentimes, and, and especially when I'm doing work with much larger organizations. It usually evolves around how to develop a process map. Mm -hmm. And they'll talk to these people because, you know, keep in mind, when we're talking about certifications like the Lean Six Sigma certification, there, there are a lot of organizations out there that can award or issue that certification. But it doesn't mean that you actually know how to do a Lean Six Sigma project. Just because you study the theory and you can take an exam and you pass the exam, it's not the same as actually doing a project and completing that project successfully. What often happens in operations, and, and again, this goes into any functional area of business, but especially in operations from what I've seen, is that you have these Lean Six Sigma folks that are out there and they, they, they present themselves very well. They are the shiny new sports car that you saw in <laughs> Switzerland. And they look great. They speak very well, very articulate. And you're thinking, you get so caught up and so captivated by that that you forget to ask them, well, can you show me, how would you, how would you map out this particular process? I want to see you do it in front of me right now. Let's and do if a they test. can't do that's let's do a test. Yeah, yeah, test drive. When right. you when, when you buy a car, literally you go do a test drive, right? That's right. That's exactly right. Try before you buy. Yeah. And, so and, before and, you commit to hiring some of these resources, ask them, you know. Pilot. Pilot. Do a pilot. Can you actually do this work? It's, it's heartbreaking when you, you see and hear these stories of people, especially smaller businesses, because we can't afford to make those kinds of mistakes. Larger organizations, they have more money to play with. They can absorb the cost of a bad hire. But for much smaller organizations, it's devastating when we hire someone and then we realize 30 days in or 60 days in, oh, my God, this person this person doesn't know what he's doing. 
No, they're playing with the same. It's even I, I, I go even extra money. Everyone's in these guys. They play exactly with the same tech. Okay, what's going on is that it's not because they haven't got really smart people on board. They've got these people. They've got very very talented people, very smart people. But the first things they ask them to do is to fit in. They've got their mm. playbook, and you use their own playbook. It's like you don't get out of the ecosystem. Why is that? And, and, and I know why is that actually because. They build an, an entire ecosystems, whereas all of the products are lined up. So one leads to another. If, if some, but for, from their perspective, is not efficient, is, is not operationally efficient that each person they hire, they come in with their own way of doing things. They have to fit in to create that economy of scale and don't break the sales process, right? But that's that's their, that's their dooms. This kind of uh, uh, I call vortex dooms. Like meaning, if you wash, if you ask everyone to wear the hats that you have already, is actually kill the talents because every individual in that business will think exactly the same way, and if they do that, you're actually wasting your own money. In, in theory, you're wasting your own money because you kill that innovation bit, that that yes. human being able to find better ways and then becomes the same playbook and those guys they would change between the big fours and we know that like you go from <laughs> one to another and then back to the first right. one and then to the third one in the line and it's the same playbook at the end the same the same that's, catalog that's true that is so, so true yes so, <laughs> so um you know i'm really curious and i think there's a, a phenomenal opportunities i believe personally to boutique consulting because they walk the talk. Yes. If you project that going forward, do you think the market share big versus boutiques that will reverse somehow due to agilities, costs, you know, all experience hmm. and what have you? I'm curious. What do that's you think? A, that's a great question. I think, hmm. I don't know my answer to that question, but let's talk through it. Um, <laughs> because I, I think we hope so. <laughs> I, I think as I think as more again go kind of circ going back to the education piece that we talked about earlier, as more let's say in a corporate environment, as more of those executives start to educate themselves about the other options that are out there. And I'll, I'll, I should say this also, Ben, because one of, a friend of mine explained this to me so eloquently many years ago. And he said, you know, Alicia, you have to understand for a large corporation, it's all about, you know, for all of us, we have to manage risks. But for a larger corporation, they almost have to go with that quote unquote brand name, big consulting firm because at least they know what they're going to get. Mm, they familiar. can call up, right. Heineken can call up Ikea and ask, well, hey, did you work with so-and-so, the such-and-such consulting firm? Yeah, we sure did. Yep, everything was, you know, if it was okay. And, and you know, people like to be able to say, well, well, I, I worked with, with so-and-so or we hired so-and-so. Um, it's, it's, it can also be part of a status symbol. Yeah. Truthfully. I mean, let's just be truthful. True. Yes. Um, so I think, but whereas when they look at much smaller boutique consulting firms, 
the risk goes much higher mm. because they don't, there's no, they don't have any familiarity with your organization and they're taking a huge gamble that you can come in and do the work that you say you can do. But at least with a larger company that has a longer track record where they can easily go online and find information, again, they can call their peers and ask their peers and who are also executives and other very large corporations. That's how, that's how business works, right? We do business with people that right. are on our same level. And so if you are going after an Ikea, for example, to do some consulting work, more than likely Ikea wants to deal with a consulting firm that's on or very close to their level. That's just how it works. Now, yeah. many of these larger corporations, they do have specialty programs where they, they might take a much smaller project or a smaller initiative and consider outsourcing that to a, a, you know, a more boutique-type consulting firm. But if we're talking about projects on a grander scale, this, this is the other key thing, Ben. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad we're talking through this because the conversation can, can be geared toward this. Yeah. Another, another reason why so many of these larger corporations shy away from doing business with our smaller businesses is because we cannot prove our ability to scale. Right. They yes. want to know, again, keep in mind, don't take it so personal. I had to learn this the hard way because I would get so upset. I can't believe, you know, I'm smart and I can't believe they didn't give me this business. But again, I had to realize I haven't yet approved my ability to be able to scale. They, mm. they have to minimize their risk. And if they go to your website and they don't see they don't see their peers as, as other clients that you've done work for. That's, that's one red flag. And then secondly, if they don't see a, a team of people on your website, well, it's just Ben. Yes. And what if something happens to Ben and Ben starts this project? How can we, how, how will this project be completed? So, and actually, you're, I'm reminding myself that, you know, that's something that we need to update our company website is to, to add our whole team page because people, people will judge based on that. Well, wait a minute, you're a one-woman show, but I'm not a one-woman show. But right now, if you went to my website, it would look that way. Um, so mm. all of those things are really important. We have to be able to prove our ability to scale and scale at capacity. So if, you know, these are very large corporations, they have very large needs, can you handle it? If we give you this body of work, can you handle it? And that's where, again, having these conversations about your, your supply chain, the, the health of your supply chain, do you have the people? Do you have access to the, the right technologies that can scale up? Mm. They look at all of that. And oftentimes, if, if your company is rejected, go back and take a look at, at how your company is structured operationally, because that could very well be the reason why your company was not selected. 
you, you nailed it there. I think you're absolutely right, Alicia. And um, yes, um, I've, I've had similar experience that you mentioned where it's like, oh, you're one man show. That that's not good. It's like okay, yeah. you can circle back when you scale up, right? Right. <laughs> and that's a hurtful thing to be told something like that, right? Like, oh, yeah. you're, you're too you're too small for us, Ben. Yeah. Um, it's, you it's... know, and it's like, no, I'm not. You know, like I, I promise, I have other people that help me, but but they have to see it. Yeah, and if they yeah, can't absolutely. see it, that is the assumption. Doesn't exist. If they can't see it, it doesn't exist. That's right. Doesn't that's exist. right. We we touched upon Alicia on on you know all of the topic that we have discussed is of transformational nature, right? And I do transformation, you do transformation, and and all the time the questions that I ask myself is, um, especially when I pick up a project after one that been failing before, what's the re what what kills transformations? Because we talked about in Big Four, etc. So this is a survey from business consulting group is that 75% transformations and all businesses fails, right? There's many factors, externals, but what I'm asking you here, what's, what those in, within the organizations? I'm glad you asked that question. I think one of the most universal reasons is operating in silos. Mm. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And because of that, these initiatives fail. This is something I tell my Lean Six Sigma students from day one of the course. Start telling other people what you are about to work on. Get their buy-in early. You don't want a situation where you start working on something and then you're ready to introduce it, you're ready to launch it, and everybody else in the company is saying, whoa, I, did, I don't want that. We didn't ask mm. for this. Well, you didn't get you didn't get our input. Where did you get you know? And you might think, well, I have the budget for it, and, and my boss said yes, or my boss approved it, so it, it must have been fine. But I cannot stress that enough. It is something that plagues large corporations, government entities. Think about. <laughs> let's think about. Uh, well, here in the U.S., where I am, it's, it's TSA, right? When you go to an airport, there is no consistency. In some airports, you have to take off your shoes. In some airports, you, you, you can keep your shoes on, but you have to take your belt off. Or in, in another airport, <laughs> you can leave everything on. It's like, it's just as, madness. That's why they don't strip you naked. I'm okay with whatever <laughs> they ask me to do. <laughs> So, so I, I'm using that as an example of what can happen inside of an organization. You have all of these different teams or all of these different departments, and they're working in isolation of each other. They're working as though, you know, operations may be working as though finance doesn't exist. Finance may be operating without taking into account some of the things that the IT group is working on. It all needs to be interconnected. So when we mentioned the word ecosystem earlier, instead of saying supply chain, because supply chain, you know, it, it implies linkage. Yeah. But ecosystem implies interconnectivity. Mm. Right. And I think more companies need to adopt that mindset. That's that's that is by far universally speaking. One of the main reasons why so many initiatives fail, there's improper communication 
And because it starts off that way, by the time that project, by the time they're trying to complete the project or introduce it to the entire company, it, it doesn't work because they did not get enough across section of people, mm. representatives from every department to participate in the execution of that project. Um, that's, that's a huge one that I see. I mean, think about how many times, even when you call for t uh, customer support of, of, of any kind, mm. you might call three different times and get three different answers. Because exactly. there's, incons there's inconsistency. Or if you have, especially if you have to be transferred, well, you know, you call the, the tech support and then they tell you, oh, well, that's a billing issue. So then you're transferred to billing and they're just like, well, no, actually, that's an issue that's really a tech. It's, it's madness. But because they operate in silos, the billing department and the tech support department operate separately and have no idea what each other does. That's for us as the customer, the end user. It's so no. frustrating. Yeah, and it's, it's a waste for the business too, right? Because that's all it's, waste it, resources. It's, in, it's incredibly wasteful. Because mm. here's another reason why. There could be redundancy. Yep. You might be in the sales department, Ben. I'm in the, I don't know, uh, the, the HR department. Somehow we end up working on something very similar. But because we're not talking to each other, I have no idea that you're working on the same thing or roughly the same thing that I'm working on. And our respective departments have dedicated money. They've dedicated certain other resources, you know, certain people to our projects without even, you've basically paid twice for the same thing. Exactly. And that happens exactly. a lot. That happens a lot too in these large corporations. And I wonder, Alicia, is, just, is, is the solution is, if we're using the business jargon, is taking, the solution is to take a holistic views of the business target operating model with all of the dimension that we get within, you know, our objective of transformations and what have you is going on around the business. I'm glad you mentioned that. There's, there's a tool that we use in Lean Six Sigma. It's called the X matrix. Mm-hmm the X matrix or the Japanese term. And I, I'm always cautious about using the Japanese words out of Lean Six Sigma because I have a friend who's Japanese and <laughs> I know I'm not pronouncing the words correctly. So bear with me, but Hoshi, Hoshi Kanri, I, I okay. hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But, but if you're, for those of you listening, watching, if you look up X matrix, you're going to see this. Uh, if you can imagine this spreadsheet, and there's a square and you have these rows going across the top and the mm. bottom of the square and vertically on the two sides, on the other two sides, the, the vertical sides of the square. You start off at the very bottom. What are the company's long-term objectives? What are the okay. three to five year goals of the company? And the next and so that's the bottom part of the square on the left hand side of the square. And I'm, I just realized my left looks like your looks probably looks like my right to you. Exactly. <laughs> I, I just get lost. Like, so, okay, uh... I'm, so, I'm sorry. Let me, let me, let me stop moving my hands around. We're on video. So, okay. So we just talked about the bottom part of the square, the, the right. left side of the square. So we're moving in a clockwise direction, starting mm -hmm. with the bottom. 
We're moving up to the left side of the square. Now you want to actually talk about, based on the company's long-term goals, what are the things that you can do now within this year, within the year 2022? What are some specific initiatives or projects that you can work on that tie into or in alignment with those longer term goals? Okay. Now, mm-hmm. as we continue moving clockwise, now we're at the very top of the X, the X matrix. We're at the top of the square. You're going to talk about the, the specific project that you are going to work on that makes sure that you can meet that annual goal or objective. And then as we make our way finally to the right-hand side of the square or the, the, the matrix, that's where you put the metrics. Okay. How are you going to measure success? The reason a tool like this is so powerful, Ben, is because it gives you a one-page overview of not only what the company's overall objectives are, but it helps you understand how or whether the things that you want to work on, does it even align with the company's goals? And if not, you probably don't need to be working on it. So that, that alone is such a powerful tool. But you said something really important, sharing that information. It does you no good to go through the exercise of creating something like that if it's not going to be shared and easily accessible to everyone in your organization. You have to have that transparency. How can I work on a project in my little department in a big, very large corporation if I don't even know what... What direction is this company even going in? It happens a lot, Alicia, I can tell you yeah, that. Yeah, it does. It does. And, you know, something else that happens, Ben, is especially in these larger organizations, and smaller businesses are guilty of this too, but for a very different reason. In larger organizations, you would expect to be able to see an organizational chart, right? Doesn't exist. You know, what is the chain of command? They can't tell you. No one or knows. Or if it exists, it's, well... I think I've seen it before, but I don't know where you find it. Or maybe HR has it, or it, it's just, it's like a mystery. And I can't tell you how many larger organizations I've been inside of. The average employee cannot communicate what the organization, how the organization is actually structured on the inside. They can't communicate it. There's not the... It's not only they can't communicate that, they don't, staff are lost. They don't know what directions the business is going and how the current roles play into that. And that's a that's whole correct. different ballgame. Yes. I mean, it doesn't matter if you got the like a six figure, seven figure transformation budget and a whole bunch of teams and consulting coming on over. If, if you, if you're trying to transform the life of a person who processing example invoice, in the account payable department, and that person does not know even anything about that transformation you're talking about. A, B, they don't know what the role they pl- they're playing, and three, they even don't know what the what directions the business has taken this year. It's like how it's gonna work. That's uh, right. It's not money. It's not money. Absolutely not. That's right. And when when people don't have direction, you're almost functioning 
maybe this is too strong of a word, but it's, it's almost like you're a robot. You're, you're showing up to work, but you don't really know why you're doing what you're doing. You, you, because you, you might not have an appreciation for the big picture. You just, you're just going through the motions. You're just showing up every day, showing up on time, making sure you do a good job, and then you leave. And exactly. then the next day you do the same thing all over again. But that, that kind of attitude kills innovation and creativity. Oh, yeah. That's the pistol and the, uh, the, 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 and, and the bullet. <laughs> That's right. So if you, don't, if you don't have that level of transparency, how on earth can you get people around you, people working for you, to come up with these creative and, and innovative yeah. ideas, and you haven't even told them the direction that you're trying to go in. Hundred percent. Okay, it's Alice. madness. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I get, and I can I, I don't think you were surprised if I said I've seen tons of these situations. I don't think mm -hmm. you were surprised. No, no, not surprised at all. Um, my last segment in the show, quick questions. So I'm going to mention a few things um, on, on, on the list and you can, you know, rate them, whether they are underrated, probably rated, overrated. And of course you get common, all of that. Um, let me start, which is you needed a little bit. So communication change management and transformation within the business. Is it underrated, overrated, or? Um, properly rated or properly rated. I would say improperly rated. Okay. Um, one of the, the tenets of effective leadership is communication, your ability to communicate and articulate. And that goes beyond just what you can verbalize. As you know, communication yeah, yeah. comes in the form of, you know, there's written communication as well. And I think so many people underestimate that. And I'm, I'm going to just quickly mention some of my experiences teaching at the, you know, at the university level. Whenever there is an assignment and students have to prepare something that's written and maybe not necessarily um, fill out a template or, or solve a, a, a math problem, but they actually have to write, then it's frightening how many people can't write? And yeah. I'll suggest tools like Grammarly. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you may never, you, the chances or the likelihood of you becoming a leader are very slim because you can't even write in a way that, that a person could read it and understand what you're trying to communicate. How can you lead if you can't communicate. Um, so that's, that's why I say it's, it's improperly. Um, it, it, th I don't think there's enough emphasis on, yeah. on communication and, and transformation. Yeah, absolutely. Next, my list, actually, probably we haven't talked about it a lot, but I'm, I'm really curious about your opinion. It's, it's becoming a thing those days. Um, but it's basically performance management and having all of the dashboards behind it. What, mm. what do you think? What's your take mm. on that? Well, you know, I'm a lean six Sigma person. And yeah, so that's, so. That, yeah. So that's what I'm kind of asking you. It's like, it's all data driven evaluations and, you know, finding <laughs> eliminated waste and all of that. Right. But, but I, I will say this, don't allow, 
there is a such thing as analysis paralysis. Like you can yes. you can become consumed with tracking yes. numbers and, yes. and monitoring things. Yes. Measure measure what matters. That's a very common f- operation. I like phrase. that. I like yeah, that. measure measure what matters. So this is what I, I encourage people to always do. Think about the main departments or the main areas of your company, even if it's a small business, especially if you're a small business. And think about what are the top three things that you want to track and measure within each of those departments. Okay. In other words, if you were to put all of that onto a dashboard, onto one piece of paper, each department and those top three things that you want to measure within each of those departments, does it tell you the story of what's going on in your company? And that's something that you might decide to update, let's say once a month. You have that dashboard and you're looking at, okay, this is how the company performed overall during the month of February. If you notice that sales seem to be down, but uh, revenue was up, you know, that might trigger a question. Tells a story, right? Yeah. How did that happen? That's another way to start getting people to start talking to each other and breaking down the silos. Mm. Doing something as simple as having a very high level one-page dashboard that goes out to every single person in the company, it gets you to thinking, well, why did this happen? Then you can start doing your investigation and getting down into more of the details and and looking at even more numbers and even more data and doing even more analysis. But, But what is the big picture? Right. And if that big picture isn't what you want it to be, that's when you start your investigation. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, my last on the list, Alicia, I'm conscious of time. So <laughs> I, I could, you and me, we could go on I and know, on. I know, I know. I mean, I, I just. I, We've already. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to, I, I'm stealing time from you, Alicia. So just please forgive me for it. <laughs> I owe you that. I owe you that. Um, I, it's my last one is actually, which is automation. Um, if all the processes, I know there's a whole thing on itself, but like how you read that nowadays. What were the options again? Uh, So it's like underrated, probably rated, overrated. Um, I would have to say that is underrated. Yeah. And I I will big smile on my face and I totally agree with you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Automation is definitely underrated. I think it's also because it's misunderstood. People, whenever some people, and, and, you know, this is some people, when they hear the word automation, they literally think of losing jobs and losing jobs. Oh my yeah. goodness. A piece of machinery is going to replace me as a human it's, being. Yes. That's what they're thinking, but they don't understand. There's, there's, for example, something called robotic process automation. There's no physical robot. It's a digital bot that is on the computer that can do repetitive tasks for you. It actually frees up more of your time to be able to work on other things. So rather than thinking of it as a replacement, think of it as an augmentation to what you are already doing. It's yet another way to help you increase your capacity to do more. And I agree with you, but there's a catch here, Alicia. 
okay. is that that businesses are not able to emphasize what that means again to the you know to the people on the ground. What means that there's a robot going to take a chunk of what you do, the chunk that does not matter, and give you more time to focus on what matters, and then speak about that. Tells tells that person, okay, we're going to take that piece that's be automated, and you're going to focus on one, two, three, four, right? They just come mm -hmm. in with the whole bags of robots and consultants, blah, blah, blah. Now we're going to get rid of you. <laughs> that's the mm -hmm. message, which is not true. But I think there's, uh, this is that I've seen over and over and over again. No, that, that, that is very, very true. And I think that goes back to the, that, that ties in very nicely, Ben, to the communication piece. Excuse yeah. me, um, the communication piece. You're right. I mean, even I, being a person in operations for so long and, and having the engineering background, I, I, had, I was very ignorant about robotic process automation. Until I started to really educate myself about it, I, what I, I don't even remember what I thought it was, but, <laughs> <laughs> but once I learned what it actually is, I was like, oh, that is nothing like what I thought it was. Hmm. So yeah, it, it, yeah, this stuff sounds scary and, and it's up to leaders yeah. to properly communicate what it is and what it isn't. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Alicia, thanks a lot. I mean, <laughs> Thank you, Ben. What, what a, I mean, okay, so we will talk in the future. So that's only... Yes. You know, that's I, what I can say right now. It's not, it's not the last, uh, you know, it's not, it's not the last meeting that you and me were going to have a chat. Um, so, yes, absolutely pleasure, Alicia. Thanks a lot. Oh, thank you so much. This is such a great conversation. I really appreciate it, Ben. Mm-hmm.